0: January 17th, 1994, the largest earthquake to hit California hit in the morning hours. The epicenter was literally in Los Angeles, California. And uh, as people went to the streets for safety, they looked up and saw something that they had never seen before. They saw a silver grayish cloud in the sky. And matter of fact, 911 was um, inundated with calls on what's going on. Not for first responders, but what's that in the sky? And uh, what they had seen finally with all the lights out in Los Angeles was they saw the Milky Way. It had been there the entire time, but literally the world had drowned it out. And as I think about that story, I think, oh my goodness. Like the mission of God is inside this right here. And as I open it and read it, it's so crazy how the world is trying to drown it out. My pace of life... Uh, my, my, my love and loyalty for things other than the mission of God. My desire for a resume or savings is trying to drown this out. And this morning we're just going to look up. We're going to look up. We're going to see the mission of God unfold. And actually the mission of God begins in Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter one. And, and, And if you miss the mission of God, you miss how you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to give and how you're supposed to raise your kids. It affects every avenue of life. If you miss the mission of God, you miss how to live, how to give, and how to raise your kids. Here's where it begins. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God's plan was worshipers of him all over the the world. As he tells Adam and Eve, fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. Well, if you continue reading in Genesis 3, man sins. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says every thought of man is evil. I mean, you're like on page 7 of the Bible and already depressed. You get to page 9, and uh, in chapter 9, God tells Noah after the flood, he says, fill the earth. Genesis 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and said, fill, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Here it is again. Fill the earth. I want worshipers of me all over the planet. Well, Genesis chapter 11, does God get it? Genesis chapter 11, does God get it? Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. No matter where you went on planet earth, people spoke one language, English. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. They settled there. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens. So that we may make a name for ourselves. That last underlined spot summarizes the majority of Christians. That we may make a name for ourselves and live within proximity of our family. And so here God says, fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. And humanity has said, no thanks. So God comes down in Genesis 11, verse 7. He says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Genesis chapter 11 is a pivotal point in Scripture. Genesis 11 is crucial. This is where we get all the languages. All the languages flow from Genesis 11, French, Mandarin, Spanish. Rap. It all comes from right here in Genesis 11. Now, if you had no knowledge of the Bible, if you had no knowledge of the Bible and you began to read it, you would come to Genesis 11 and you'd have an uh uh-oh moment. You'd be like, what's he going to do? Like, it's one thing to get your name to one language. In Genesis 11, he scatters them to 70 languages. Today, there's 6,912 languages. How is God going to get his name? How is he going to regather these nations that He scattered? What is he going to do? And all you have to do to see God's response to the scattering of the nations is turn the page. Genesis 12, the mission of God begins with a man named Abram. God looks down, he sees Abram, we know him as Abraham. In Genesis 12, God says this, Abram, leave. Leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I, want you. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, you'll be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you, whoever curse you I will curse, but Abraham, are you ready for this? The reason I am reaching out and pulling you into my mission of God, the reason I'm pulling you into my mission is not for you. It's so that all peoples that I scattered a chapter ago will be regathered under my glory. All peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. Get used to hearing God say that. He's only going to repeat it about 1,200 more times. 1,200 more times God's going to mention his desire to see every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I was a Christian for a decade before I realized the importance of Genesis chapter 12. I had no idea of Genesis 12 for the first 10 years of my spirituality. The leading scholar of all of Christians in all of Europe was asked this question. He died a few years ago. His name was John Stott. He was asked this question. What's the most important passage in all the Bible? And before he died, John Stott said, that's easy. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The whole of God's purpose is encapsulated here. That's why I call this the Abrahamic revolution. Our mission begins in Abraham, the domino tips with Abraham, and it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Joshua to David to the prophets to Jesus, to the early church to us. But it begins in Abraham. And so does Abraham go or does he stay? Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, so Abraham left as the Lord told him. Isaac, just like your father Abraham, the mission of God comes to you. Genesis 26. Isaac, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands and through your offspring. Here it is again. All nations will be blessed. Jacob, just like your father Isaac and his father Abraham. Genesis 28. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and they will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. Why? We're not even out of Genesis yet. All peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you don't miss the mission of god it affects how we live how we give and how we raise our kids a buddy of mine graduated from k-state university his name's andrew i was like andrew tell me a story from college he's like well man we didn't have much in manhattan kansas but we had our football He said, some of my favorite memories were traveling to away football games. He says, one day, five of my friends text me, be out front in 10. I threw a bag together, went downstairs to the dorms. They rolled around their SUV. We drove 10 hours from Manhattan, uh, Manhattan, Kansas to Dallas, Texas. He said, when we got to the stadium, my friends pulled out their luggage. And unbeknownst to me, they had gone to Lowe's and bought eight cans of purple wall paint and said, men, suit up. He's like, my friend Andrew's like, we could die of skin poisoning. But in that moment, we all knew it was worth it. He said, head to toe, we painted our bodies purple. Head to toe, we painted our bodies. He says, Todd, guess what word we painted on our chest? I'm like, what? Hey, mom. Hi, ESPN. He's like, no, no, no. The six of us painted one word on our chest. Family. I'm like, family? Why family? Family. He's like, because at K-State University, when you come in as a freshman, they say, you're not a student, you're part of the family. The football stadium at K-State University is called Family Stadium. He said, Todd, something happened in the third quarter with a minute left. I said, what? He said, we were down by 41. (laughs) He said, I'm banging on the bleachers, I'm yelling at the refs, and then I have this epiphany. He says, I realize I'm in desperate need of exercise... ...and our team's in desperate need of rest... ...but I can't get in the game... ...because I'm painted in purple with an F on my chest... ...wearing a kilt. I said, man, you just succinctly summarized... ...American Christianity. You just summarized... ...American Christianity. I'm in the family, but I'm not in the game. Oh, I'm a Christian, I go to church... ...I don't celebrate Halloween... ...but when it comes to engaging God's mission... ...to reach the nations, we're like, hey man, sorry, I'm busy. I'm getting a degree. I've got kids. I've got a mortgage. I've got these plans. I know, I know people at our church who are into global outreach, and I applaud them. They're fantastic. It's just I'm different. I have a personality, and uh, um, I have uh, a business, and I got two kids, and we got soccer every night. And watch what happens. God invites us into his mission. It pops off the page. Once you look up and see it, you can't unsee it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Why does God, every story, why does God give Israel the Ten Commandments? Deuteronomy chapter 4. I have taught you these decrees and laws, Moses says, to Israel as the Lord my God commanded them. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. As the Hittites and Jebusites and, and, and Amalekites are watching the Israelites obey God, they're seeing his name displayed. What about Pharaoh? Why did God raise up Pharaoh? Was he just interested in Israel coming out of Egypt into the promised land? No, he's interested in the whole world knowing of his glory. Exodus chapter 9. I have raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh, that I might show you my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Solomon and his wisdom. Why did God raise up Solomon and give him wisdom beyond his years? The queen of Sheba travels from Yemen to Jerusalem to sit set at the feet of Solomon. Matter of fact, 1 Kings 10 tells the story. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. The whole world. The nations are watching. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come up out of the fiery furnace. Why did God save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? If you start Daniel 4, you read a pagan king who didn't even know God writes a letter to peoples, nations, men of every language who live in all the world. What God began in Genesis 12, he's going to complete. I was at... um, a fun place I like to go with my family. Hobby Lobby. Um, I feel like it's my tithe. I feel like when I go there and pay, it's like I tithe. You know, I just, I don't give to my church. I just give to Hobby Lobby. And um, I had my kids with me. We were walking down the, the my wife was with me. And I look up and I see on the painting aisle, the picture aisle. I was like, Jess. I showed my wife. She's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I know, I know. She's like, you have to buy it. I'm like, done, (laughs) of course. It was the coolest picture ever. It had a uh, stream, a deer, a tackle box, a fisherman and the sun rising. And and my favorite Old Testament verse in 98 font, gold calligraphy at the bottom. Be still and know that I am God, dot, dot, dot. I mean, I was like, this is crazy. I can't believe this is happening. Now, I'd seen that verse my whole life. It's my favorite Old Testament verse. I've seen it crocheted on tea towels and embroidered on bowling balls, right? And I think what got me this time was the girth of the font. Like, I saw the font and I was like, Wow. I'm a third grade teacher, right? I'm trained in elementary education. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm highly aware of what the dot, dot, dot's for. Like the dot, 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 be still and know that I'm God, dot, dot, dot. It just means, hey, second half doesn't apply. Don't waste your time. And I was like, man, I thought the verse ended with be still and know that I'm God. I had no idea there was a second half. It never makes the picture frame the tea towel, or the bowling ball. And I was like, what's so bad about the second half of Psalm 4610 that I've never seen it? I mean, what does it say? Be still and know that I am God. And Judas found a rope and hung himself. I mean, how bad is the second half that I never see it? So I went to my Bible app, popped it open, and went to Psalm 4610. (laughs) I mean, I've never seen it. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Man, as a white, wealthy westerner who wants the blessing of salvation, but not the responsibility of global outreach, how can I justify my inactivity? Dot, dot, dot. Not my problem. Someone else will go. I'm not even called. Who really cares? And what I do is I take the verses that I like and are blessings for me, and I highlight them and memorize them. And God's heart for the nations, I just don't look up. I pretend like it's not not there. I get so busy with life and majors and degrees and resumes and savings and bills and sports that I'm sorry. But yet, if you see it, you can't unsee it. Isaiah 49, 6, it continues to go back to Abraham in Genesis 12. "'It's too small a thing, Israel, that you be my servant and destroy the tribes of Jacob.'" I will bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will make you a light to the nations that you might see my salvation or bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jeremiah 16, 19. O Lord, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in time of distress. To you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say our fathers have nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Zephaniah two eleven. The Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys the gods of the land. The nations on every shore worship him, everyone in their own land. Malachi 1, 11. My name, are you kidding me? But I just, I just don't want to be a part. I'm busy. It's not really what I'm gifted at. I'm just at a different age or stage. If you caught me at a different age or stage, it would have been better. This is just not the right age or stage. And guess who says that? Everybody in every age and every stage. I got asked to speak at the largest Christian university in Canada. 5,000 students. I was pumped. I was to speak Tuesday morning at chapel, Wednesday morning at chapel, Thursday morning at chapel, and Beth Moore was closing Friday morning. I was like, this is going to be so fun. We're going to be Bethy's, you know. And um, here I am. I I get to Canada. Did I tell you it's the largest university? 5,000 students I get to the campus a day early, even though it's in our same time zone, just to get acclimated. And um, I get there, and that morning I'm walking around campus, and I have breakfast with the campus minister. And at breakfast, I say to him, wow, this place is amazing. He's like, we are the largest. And I was like, I know, I heard. I put, told all my friends, you know. And uh, I said, about how many students? He's like, well, we just taught 5,000. I'm like, this is crazy. I said, for chapel every day this week, where's it meet at? He's like, well, the only place that we can house everybody on campus is the basketball arena. So you're going to be speaking at the basketball arena. And I was like, this is awesome. I said, listen, numbers to me do not matter. But today they do. I said, (laughs) about how many students will I be speaking to? And he's like, oh, did I not tell you the email? Missions week is the only week we make chapel optional. So we're praying for 200. I get to the meeting, and I speak to 185 Canadian university students. And I challenge them, before they go off and start their resume, after college, give five years of your life to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, or tribal world. And after I finish speaking, I take my mic off, I set it down, I look over, and there's eight Canadians ready to talk to me. The first one comes up to me, man, that was an incredible message. Thank you so much. I can't go overseas. I'm getting engaged. The next one, man, thank you for the message. It was really great. It inspirational. I can't go overseas. My parents would freak. The next one, thanks for the message. It was really challenging. I can't go overseas. I'm getting a master's. The next one, man, that was phenomenal. Great. I just, I just don't, I'm not called. The next one, I just, I would go overseas, but there's so much needs here. The next one, I would, man, that was a great message. Thanks so much. But I just signed a two-year iPhone contract one after another. I then spoke Wednesday to about 145 students, Thursday to about 85 students. I flew out Friday. I didn't fly back to where I'm from. Instead, I was scheduled to speak at a church in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I flew into Salt Lake City, and I grabbed my rental, and I go to Google's map, and I type in where I'm going, and it says, turn right on Temple Street. To where does Temple Street lead? And I realized that First and Temple in Salt Lakes, Utah, is the largest Mormon temple in the world. And I literally was like, I want to go. I want to go see the largest Mormon temple and get a selfie. How sweet would that be? So I go, turn right, First and Temple, park the car, hop out and get a selfie in front of the largest Mormon temple in the world. I then look to the left, to the left of the Mormon temple, and I see this huge building made of glass, three stories tall, about as big as this entire church. And etched in glass, it says, Mormon Welcome Center. I want to go. I want to be welcomed by Mormons in Utah. I mean, how sweet was, I mean, maybe an angel gets its wings. We don't know what happens. Like, that's just a sweet moment, you know? So I walk over to the Mormon welcome center. I open the door and I yell, good Mormon. Top of the Mormon to you. And 20 of the best dressed, seemingly well-educated, nice looking university graduates came walking towards me. One of the girls peels off, her name's Rachel. She comes up to me and she's like, what brings you here? And I was like, what brings you here? Like, how did you wind up here? And why is everybody's name sister? You know, I'm like, this is crazy. And um, so she's like, oh, well, every Mormon has to give two years after they graduate on a mission trip. And the church decides. And they decide that and send you a letter. And so when I got my letter, it was the greatest day of my life. I'm like, you get a letter telling you where to go? She reaches in her purse. She pulls out the letter. And she says, this is the most important thing I own. I held the letter. I read the letter. I then got in my car, drove 45 minutes south to Provo, Utah, where I was scheduled to speak at Brigham Young University. Brigham Young University is the largest Mormon university in, a, in the world. And we were scheduled to speak to a few Christ followers on campus trying to have a ministry. And I get about a mile off of campus from Provo, Utah. I get about a mile off of campus from Brigham Young University. And I look up and I see this building, this mall, this like shopping center. And the name on the shopping center is what caught my attention. The name was the Missionary Mall. I want to go. I want to go. What possibly brilliant things could you purchase at a place called the Missionary Mall? Park the car, go in the Missionary Mall. And as I walk in, I realize, wow, this is the place that Mormons take their kids before their two-year mission. Everything they need on their two-year mission, they get at the Missionary Mall. The suit, the tie, the bike helmet, it all comes from the Missionary Mall. And all I'm doing is looking at the faces of the fathers and the mothers. All I'm doing is looking at the faces of the grandfathers and the grandmothers. Sheer excitement. Greatest day of my life. No price too high, son. Whatever you need, we are honored. I got back in my car, opened my journal, and wrote, Mormons give two years, Christians give excuses. Mormons give two years, Christians give excuses. Here's the newest stat out that we've discovered. The newest stat is this. If your son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson gets a heart for global outreach, 99.9% of Christian parents spend the next six months trying to talk them out of it. If your son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, gets a heart for missions and wants to go and reach the nations, the newest stat out is 99.9% of Christian parents will spend the next six months or more desperately trying to talk their child out of it. Are you sure you wanna do this? Why would you wanna go? Think of the needs here. We haven't really, we don't understand this. Is this the last minute? Are you not interviewing for other jobs? To me, this is crazy. Are you even called? You don't even wear toms. Like, why do you wanna do this? You've, we've never traveled. You've never gone overseas. You were, you flunked Spanish one. Why do you wanna do this? Have you told your dad? Do not tell your dad. You better not tell your dad. If you tell your dad, he is gonna, this is going to be bad, okay? He's not happy right now as it is with you, and this is just gonna, you're going to be over the top. Why do you want to do this? You know you're going you're gonna to waste your degree. You had such a great resume. Think about these summers you've been interning. Well, that's just gone. You know you're going to die single. As soon as you step on that plane, you're dead single. Like, you might as well just, we're going to give your, your wedding funds to your sister. Have you told her? Have you told her? You better not tell her. You better not. Do you have doubt? Do you have any doubt? It seems like if you have any doubt, you should not go. If you have any doubt that tells me that God is telling you to stay and live with us and work at Starbucks, do you doubt? Are you just bored? Do you think you can't get a job? We have so much going for you. We just thought this was gonna be incredible. And if you, oh my goodness, don't even think about raising my kids there. My grandkids, no. Don't raise my grandkids there. They're going to die of malaria and that's going to be on you. How are you going to feel about that? What are you going to do then? See, you're doubting. I see it. You would think if God called you there, he would tell us first and we, your dad and I have heard nothing. <laughs> we have heard nothing. Matter of fact, all we are hearing is med school, med school. All we're hearing is med school. Like, that's it. And you're, this is just, it's, to me, it's different. It's division. And God is not divided. And you're dividing this house. And I think you should stop. Let's meet with the pastor. He'll agree with us. <laughs> and guess who does that? Every Christian you know. Every one of them. And university students, get ready. Because I just summed up the vast majority of your parents it's true probably the number one reason the world has yet to be reached is Christian parents now don't get me wrong I'm not going to be clicking my heels together when my daughter wants to move to Iraq it's not going to be a happy day for me but you know a harder day when she marries the wrong guy and spirals downward in self absorption that's going to be a little harder When you transition to the New Testament, what God began in Genesis 12, he continues with Abraham. I mean, listen to these passages. I used to think there was one great commission. I didn't realize there's no more than one. There's five. I used to think there was just one. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you. This is not the only Great Commission text. I thought it was the only one. There's not one. There's five. The second one is Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. This is not the only Great Commission text. There's five. Luke 24, 46 and 47. Remember Genesis 12. He looks at the disciples and says, What I began in Genesis 12, this is written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. Forgiveness and repentance will be preached to all nations. This is not the only Great Commission text. There's five. John 20:21 20, Jesus looks up at the disciples and says as the Father sent me now I am sending you John 20, 21, Jesus has just risen from the dead. He looks at the disciples in the upper room and he says, everything you've seen here for the past three years was not even my idea. Jesus says, I was in community, eternity, and trinity when the Father invited me to put on humanity. And I stepped out and went to a foreign place, not my own. And as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. And of course, I'm a John 20, 21a Christian, If only there was a way that I could be a John twenty twenty one A. I'm love, as the Father sent me, I love that. But if there was only a way I could just lop off that second half, have the blessing of salvation without the responsibility of global outreach, I would really live a perfect life. If only there was a way to lop off that... Sound. Dot, dot, dot. I don't even see it. It's not even in there. It's not even my problem. This is not the only Great Commission text. There's five. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you... ...and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, some area, and to the ends of the earth. Why five commissionings? And I think because we are naturally prone to self-absorption. But you know, here's what's interesting. Watch this. Here's what's interesting. After Acts chapter 2, all the authors of Scripture... Peter, Paul, James, Jude, okay all these authors, they knew about these five Great Commission texts. They knew about them. Many of them heard them personally from the Lord, except for the Apostle Paul. They knew about these five Great Commission texts. Yet, after Acts chapter 2, not one time does any of the writers say, "'Remember the last command of the Lord Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations.'" It's not in there. Nowhere, in, and nowhere can you find them quoting the Great Commission. Why? Because for the disciples, their, the, the mission of God didn't begin in Matthew 28. For the disciples, the mission of God begins in Genesis 12 with Abraham. So when they want to challenge the church to be global, they don't go to Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24. They don't go to John 20, 21, or Acts 1-8. They go to Genesis 12. 1 through 3. Acts chapter 3, Luke says, And you are heirs of the prophets of the covenant of God with your fathers. Remember Genesis 12, when he told Abraham, All peoples on earth will be blessed. Hebrews 6.13, Remember Genesis 12, the author writes, When God made his promise to Abraham, he said, I will bless you and give you many descendants. Galatians 3.8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the nations, and he told us in Genesis 12. He announced this in advance to Abraham. Galatians 3.14, He redeemed us, church, why? So that what began in Genesis 12 might make its way to all the nations. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given in Genesis 12 might make their way to the nations. I think that's why Paul the Apostle, when he sees the mission of God, he realizes, oh my goodness, in Romans, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul says, where is no one going and all volunteer? I say, where's the easier places with a Starbucks? A friend of mine named Brooks Bucer told this story. For 11 years, Brooks Bucer was translating the Yambi Yambi People Group's New Testament Bible. The Yambi Yambi live in Papua New Guinea, just north of Australia. And... um, it took him 11 years to translate just the New Testament into the Yambi Yambi. During year five, during year five, they, the, he kept getting letters from a tribe about 100 kilometers away called the Gatamambu peoples. And the Gatamambu peoples were writing letters to the Yambi Yambi people saying, We want our missionary. We need a missionary now to give us God's talk. How come we don't have a missionary? And Brooks Buster, my friend, he's like, man, I'm like six more years into the Yambi Yambi language before I get to the New Testament. I can't leave. There's no missionaries. In There's no one coming to the Gautamambu. Like no one's praying for them. No one knows they're there. No, no, no one's raising support for them. He says, but man, I've got to take a survey trip to the Gautamambus just to see so I can, get, I can get how many peoples there are and what language they speak to America so we can get a missionary. So... He decides to take a survey or a vision trip to the Gatamambu. He takes the Yambi Yambi's elder, who is a Christ follower. He takes him. He had white hair. He takes him out of respect. He knew the Gatamambu would greet him and respect him. They take the arduous journey 100 kilometers. They get close to the Gatamambu peoples, and all of a sudden they start hearing drums. Boom, 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 boom. The Yambi Yambi elder looks at Brooks and says, do you know why they're doing that? And he says, no. They think you're their missionary. They're celebrating. And he's like, I'm not. There's no one in the pipeline. He's like, well, we have to be very careful how we handle this. He says when he got into the village, the tribal leader of the Gatamambu took the Yambi Yambi elder and Brooks into his house. The whole village comes to the hut. He places Brooks between his two wives. Brooks says they have no teeth and white hair. He places them in front of the two wives and the, the elder of the Gatumambu looks at Brooks and says how many days until we get our missionary? Brooks says so many days so many days how many moons, the tribal elder said. Many moons, Brooks says. Many moons. The tribal leader yells, How many moons? Give me the exact number. The Yombi Yambi elder who Brooks brought with him taps Brooks on the leg and says, I'll answer this. He stands up, and in front of the whole village, he says, Look around when everyone in this village with white hair dies, then your missionary will come. That's what happened to our people and our tribe. It's been seven years now since uh, Brooks was in the Gatamambu peoples. Still no missionary. But yet, man, I mean, it's just not my problem. I'm busy. We have soccer three nights a week. I'm a coach. We're a traveling team in the summers. Like, I just, I have got, there's just no way. And we justify our inactivity, don't we? Genesis 1 through 11 is the introduction. Genesis chapter 12 all the way to Jude is the plot beginning with Abraham. And the conclusion, does God get it? What he began in Genesis 12 does he get in Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a song, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe Language, people, and nation. What God began in Genesis 12, Jesus opens the scroll and he sees worshipers from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. From the Tower of Babel to the throne of God. One book, one mission, one question. Are we on board? Are we on board? I'm not asking you to move to the Gautamambu peoples. Do you know what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to go like a half a mile down the road where the nations study. I'm asking you to, when you look at Walmart, look up and see the nations and initiate conversation. If Here's some very practical ways that you can get involved without even raising a dime of money or getting a passport. If you're a community group leader in here, on your way out, you're going to see the Global Outreach Board. It's every um, global outreach worker. And if you're a community group leader, we want you to pick one for your community group, Skype with them regularly, pray for them, and send them packages. So, next week, those in community group, you need to ask your community group leader, which one did we pick, and all start getting in touch with them. That's a very practical way to serve them. You have something called Friends of Internationals, where they're asking, these international students are asking for friends. How can I learn conversation English? The vast majority of international students never make it into an American's home. Think about that. You have quarterly times where you invite the Sudanese from the community here and the church is like, we just need people to welcome them and host them and be friends with them. You have so many incredible ways to play a part even before before leaving the country. And I invite you back tonight at six. Tonight at six, we're gonna look at more ways that you can be involved and what the world looks like. We have five kids. My wife wanted a sixth. I'm like, why? Why? She said, every basketball team needs a sub. <laughs> I mean, I was it's true. You need a sub. So we decided to, um, we decided our sixth kid was going to be from China. We adopted from China. We brought him home uh, last August. And uh, before we brought him home, we just wanted to take a family vacation. Because when you bring an adopted child into the house, it's just chaos. So, you know, we're a homeschool Christian family. And we're like, where do you go to vacation? And we realized the ark. They found it. It's in Kentucky. I mean, they were looking for, like, they were looking at Sinai, you know, and it's not. And we were telling our kids, we were like, this is going to be epic. We read the story. We told them, like, archaeologists have been digging this thing out for, I mean, it took them probably two years. Is that right to dig out? And um, my kids were pumped. They were, like, reading Genesis 6, 7 and 8. They were, like, telling the story to each other. We get to the ark, and, uh, man, it has an elevator. Uh, my kids were like thrown off. I was like, I had no idea the technological advances. It had a gift shop. My son was like, why would they have a gift shop if they only have eight people on the Ark? And I was like, listen, questions only God can answer, you know. I do not know. Ask Noah when you get to heaven, did, was that to offset the cost? You know, I don't know. So we, uh, we stayed at a hotel by the Ark. And um, I was having coffee that morning before we left. My wife stayed upstairs with the five kids. I went downstairs, and the lady who was pouring me coffee, our waitress, we were, I was talking to her about adoption and how we were leaving and going to China after this, and she was so excited. And then she asked me a question. This woman pouring my coffee asked me a question that stunned me. It was somewhat confusing. I was shocked when she asked me this question. I did not know how to respond. As she's pouring my coffee, she looks at me and says, does he know you're coming for him? I said, excuse me, ma'am? She said, you know, does he know you're coming for him? He has no idea. Like, he has no idea I've spent $34,000. He has no idea I've done 15 months of background checks, paperwork, tax ID numbers. He has no idea he has a college savings fund right now in his name. He has no idea he has five siblings desperately ready to love him. He has no idea that in 21 days he's going to be stamped a new citizen of this magnificent country and be afforded every right and privilege this country allows. He has no idea he has a father. But I'm coming for him. I'm coming for him. And, you know, half we we talk about the the second coming of Christ, and half the world's never heard of the first. What would it be like to live and give and raise our kids in the back of our minds? We're coming for you. We're coming for you. And so, Father, that's our prayer this morning, that we would look up and see it, that we would look up and see your mission. From Genesis to Revelation, one book, one theme, and we just want to be involved. I pray that even this week we would have divine appointments, whether that's at the soccer field, seeing the nations we never saw before, whether that's at the hair salon, whether that's at the store, whether that's in class. Let us initiate and meet people from the 1040 window, from the least reached peoples in the hopes that they would know you. In your name, amen.